How many of you enjoyed the story of Beauty and the Beast? Can, how many can remember even the story? All right. Okay, there's a few of you who can. Well, the prince was handsome. Like your husband once was. No, sorry. <clears throat> Until the curse when it all changed and he became the beast. And after that, what did he do? He lived hidden away in a castle until the beauty arrived on the scene. And the beauty, she loved him because she loved him so much she caused a transformation to take place and he once again became a handsome prince. Here's the question. What would have happened if the beauty hadn't appeared? What if she hadn't loved the beast? After all, he wasn't a very lovable person. The truth is this. There's a beast in every one of us. I want to acknowledge Max Licardo for some of these thoughts tonight. So let's go back to the beginning. There was a time when mankind was made in the image of God. The pinnacle of his creation and he was oh so beautiful. So was she. Until Adam and Eve sinned and then this darkness invaded their hearts. Terrible darkness entered. And today we see the tragic results of darkness entering into the human heart and the condition of our world today. You and I, we do things that we know we shouldn't do. And we wonder why we do them. You know why? There's a beast in every one of us. Let's have a look at Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart, if you've got your Bible, read with me or it might be on the screen. Let's read it together. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Ooh, (laughs) that's what you came to hear tonight? (laughs) To be reminded of your desperately wicked heart. Romans 3 verse, you might say, that's Old Testament, give me something in the New. I'm glad you asked. Romans 3 verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. None righteous. That's probably why spiritual pride is one of the most hideous of all sins. Because the Word of God says otherwise. Now I guess a time when the dark side of your life and mine may often manifest and show its face is when we are driving. Is that right? So there was a preacher driving in a two-lane road and one of the lanes was about to become gone, as it were, and it became a single lane. He was in the inside lane, which was going to end, and there was a lady beside him, and he was in a hurry, and he was a preacher, and he thought, I have preference and priority. So he put his foot to the 
metal, put it right down, and zoomed off. Guess what? So did she. And she chased them along the way. They arrived at the two lanes becoming one at the same time. And so he had to stop and give way to this lady. He was mad. He was angry. He growled and he let her go ahead. And then she looked behind and gave him that sweet smile, which made him really, really upset. So, being a man of the cloth, he put his high beam in her rear mirror, thinking, I've come to shed the light. She retaliated by slowing down to 20 kilometers per hour. Eventually, <clears throat> the lights went red and they were stopped beside each other. And there was an exchange of words which I cannot repeat in public. <laughs> Usually this man was calm, reasonably kind, but for 15 minutes he was a beast. He said only two things comforted him. Three, actually. One, he didn't have a fish symbol on his car, nor a church unlimited sticker. And two, the Apostle Paul had similar struggles. Let's go to Romans chapter 7 and verse 15. Romans 7. By the way, the ending's good. Not of that story, but the rest of it. Romans 7, 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Does anyone know what we're talking about tonight? Thank you for those four hands. 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm amazed at the beast that's in me. Raises its ugly head and I think, where did you come from? But all through Scripture, we see men and women, even God's choicest servants, struggling to contain the beast. That's in all of us. Give you some examples. Jacob, the deceiver, robs his brother of the birthright. Abraham lies about Sarah. The father of our faith. Thank you. Solomon and his 700 wives. How do you do that? Plus a thousand concubines. I bet he didn't even know their names. What about David? Man after God's own heart. He has Uriah killed. Wow. Can we go on? Samson with Deliah. 
Peter denying the Lord. Ananias and Sapphira lying to God. Don't do that, folks. They drop dead. So, if the Bible is called the good book, it's not because the people in it are good. They all have the beast. So do you and so do I. We all have this tremendous struggle, don't we? At keeping our fallen nature in check. Yet isn't it amazing that when someone else does something bad, we are appalled. Like, how could they do that? As if we were different. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. We have a way of rationalizing things in our brain which is really scary. We've all done things we regret, made mistakes, times we overreacted, said things we shouldn't have said. We still sin and even surprise ourselves. Paul, it's interesting, isn't it? One stage he says he was not inferior to the most imminent apostles. He said, hey, like you're saying, I'm the man. I'm, I'm right up there. Later on, as the years go by, what does Paul say? He says, I'm the chief of sinners. It's almost like the longer he walked with God, the more he realized the depravity of the human heart and the things that are not so good in them. And I think the closer we get to God, and I, I think it's true for me, the closer I get to God, the more I realize how far I am from God. It's not that I've got further away, it's just that I've realized how incredible God is and how far from Him I am. Not that I live in condemnation, that's not the point of this message at all. But it is a bit of a reality check sometimes. Now, that's not to say we don't do a lot of good. Most of us do a lot of tremendous good. You know, we, we pray, we we help people, we love people, we, we do good, we you know, do work in the community, we pray for other people, we, you know, we, we worship God, we do tremendous, tremendous amount of good. I'm not undermining that for a moment. The problem is we also do bad. And that's the tricky part that we want to try and deal with tonight. We can despair of ourselves and we can despair of others as well. Let's go to Jeremiah 13, verse 23. <clears throat> Jeremiah 13, 23. Can a leopard change his spots? Jeremiah 13, 23. Mm. Or oh, can an Ethiopian change his skin? Can an Indian change his skin? I think not. Or the leopard changes spots. Then you may also do good who are then you may also do good who are accustomed to do evil. Another verse says, Jerusalem you cannot change and do good because you are accustomed to doing evil. I wonder how hard you've tried to change yourself. To be more patient, more long suffering, to not gossip, not say the wrong things. 
How hard have you tried? If you join me, at times I've tried really, really hard. Always, unfortunately, in most cases, failed. How many of you do New Year's resolutions? How many of you did any this year? Has anyone kept one of them? Not a hand in the house. So much for New Year's resolutions. We make a New Year's resolution what? To get fit. Sign up for the gym and off we go. (laughs) Once, twice, three times and then quit. The gym makes a lot of money. That's why they offer these specials because they know they'll just get your money and you won't keep going there. Then we try and lose weight, overcome an addiction. And as I said, it's really easy to despair. But my message tonight is to give you hope, real hope. Because Jesus came not only to save us, but also to change us. You may not be what you want to be, I may not be what I want to be, but I sure ain't what I was. God has changed me. The gospel has never lost its power to transform lives. You will not always be like you are today. You are going to get better. Tell the person next to you, thank God for that. I'm so glad. (laughs) I won't always be like I am today. I will get better, especially if you pray for me. And that's the good news of the gospel. Yeah, there's a beast within us, and maybe that beast won't really ever be gone till you see him face to face. But be encouraged. He can change and transform your life. I often hear... People tell me that those in prison watch our TV program Running With Fire and many of them really enjoy it. I'm popular among prisoners. <laughs> I was told there was a group of them watching TV and Running With Fire came on. I came on and one called out, he's my pastor. <laughs> Taught me everything I know. <laughs> I followed his teachings. I am the person I am today because of my pastor. (laughs) I just added a few bits extra in there. But it's true. They like the program. You know why? Because even in prison, the gospel gives people hope of changing. Maybe that's why they watch Running With Fire. I can change. I can be better. Yes, The beast has raised his ugly head in their lives. And they've done things they regret doing. But the story need not end there. Because there is a saviour who changes lives and gives people a new start and a new beginning. He is the great hope of mankind. Whether you be in prison or out of prison, it's the same. Wonderful Jesus Why? Because there is a real life beauty who can transform lives and make them beautiful. And that real life beauty is Jesus. He came that 
He came because he could see the beauty in every human being. Yes, the image of God has been damaged. It really has. In most of us. But it's not beyond God's power to restore and to change and make better. So in this fable that we talked about beauty and the beast, what happens? Well, beauty kisses the beast. That's where the likenesses end. Because in the Bible, Jesus does much more. He becomes the beast. So that the beast, us, can become the beauty. Jesus changes places with us. And the beast within us can be transformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus. See, God has declared us righteous through the work of the cross. And he continues to make us more righteous. So Hebrews 10, 14, if you've got your Bible, it might come on the screen as well. Hebrews 10, 14 says this. This is what we call positional righteousness. For by one offering he is perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You are righteous in the eyes of God because of the blood of Jesus. But then there's progressive righteousness, which means we are being made more holy by God. Yes, positionally we are righteous, but then God, progressively God makes us more and more righteous. So how does God transform us? Let me just give you a few thoughts on that tonight. Number one, God is continually at work in your heart. Whether you realize it, see it, feel it or not, He's in you, resurrection power is in you, the Holy Spirit is in you, Jesus is in you, and He's constantly working to change and transform your life. That's why you get better and better and better. Little by little, you're changing into His image. Maybe taking longer than you want it to, but it is happening. So, we go now to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, and I love this verse. You, you want to take time to meditate and reflect on this verse because it, I believe it will really bless your heart. Philippians 2.13 For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So God works in me and he works in you to want to do what pleases him. And that's the power of God's Spirit working within our lives. Sometimes you have a desire to do what is good and right. That's because He's working in you to do His will and His good pleasure. The Holy Spirit changes us. And so more and more we love people, our neighbors, we serve. We turn away from the things that displease God. More and more we refrain from, from gossip and negative things that we say. We, re, we refuse to cheat on our taxes. We tell the truth. We get better and better as the years go by. As God reveals some things, He convicts us by His Spirit and He puts His finger on something. He says, hey, that's not right. I want to change it. And He helps you to change. How many of you would say you're a better person than you were five years ago? Give me a wave. Come on. See, that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of Jesus Christ. That's the hope of the world. God can change us, the sin-sick, fallen world. There is a beauty who will do more than kiss the beast. He'll become the beast and he'll change your life forever. 
You know, if it wasn't for the church, we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We are the hope of the ages. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the church. We are the light shining in a dark place. And that light is going to shine brighter and brighter and brighter. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know what they are? Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, goodness, long-suffering. Do you know why it's called (laughs) long-suffering? Because you suffer a long time. That's why. (laughs) That's a revelation I got recently. Long-suffering. But what are they, friends? They're fruit of the... Uh-huh. Not fruit of human effort. Oh, I'm going to be self-controlled. Oh, I'm going to suffer long. No, you're not. You can't do it. You just can't do it. It's impossible. It's the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in you. He changes you. How many of you would say you're more patient today than you were five years ago? Wow, well, fantastic. How many of you are less patient? Don't put those hands up. Be encouraged. You're changing. You are changing. You can't help but change. You can't have God in your life and not change. Well, I guess some people might manage to do it, but boy, it must be hard work. Number two, walking with God changes us into his likeness. You become like those you walk with and talk with. A bit like marriage. Some of you won't like this. The two become one flesh. So as time passes, the husband and wife become more and more like each other. Hope you chose well. (laughs) Begin to think similar. They could even order each other's meal at a restaurant. They may even begin to look similar. (laughs) Take another look at your husband or wife right now because (laughs) it's a mirror. (laughs) You're probably saying, stop that nonsense. (laughs) Hold on a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Listen. Doesn't the Bible say marriage is a picture of Christ? And the church, uh huh. And as time passes, the church becomes more and more like Christ. The two become one. Let's go to the next point. Number three, <laughs> we become like what we worship. That's why church time with God is so important. You might say, "Well, I worship a lot." You see, it says in. Psalm 115 verse 8, those who make them idols will be like them and so will all those who trust in them. See, whatever we worship shapes our emotions. It shapes our thinking. It shapes our behaviour. People might say, well, look, you know, I don't see worship changing me a whole lot. That's because it's like eating a meal. You don't eat one meal and think, oh, wow, gosh, look at all the weight I've put on. Well, sometimes it does happen that way, but not normally. You know, you you have to eat lots of meals before you realise what's happening. So it's not just one that makes a difference. So when you worship, each time you worship, there's change taking place, but it's it's minimal. You probably don't notice it. 
But you keep doing it and keep doing it. You become like you worship. You know, you see rock stars, don't you? You see movie stars, you see sports heroes, and they have certain hairstyles. And those who worship them, it's not long before they had the same hairstyle. They wear the same number shirt, number 13 or 34 or whatever it might be. Why? They become like what they worship. If that's a person, well, then you become like that person. You begin to even talk like that person. It, you can't, it's, it's a principle of creation. You become like what you worship. And so my encouragement is worship Jesus. With all your heart and all your soul, every time you're in church, lift your hands and worship Him with everything you've got. Because as you do, you're slowly being changed into His likeness and into His image. Our mind, our emotions, our actions are conformed increasingly to how God thinks, how God feels and how God acts. The thing that's hard for us is it doesn't happen fast enough. And we notice, wow, look at my change, look how much I've changed. But friends, it does. You've got to look almost year in and year out or two years back or five years back and see how much God has been changing and transforming your life. Number four is adversities and trials do or can transform us. It doesn't always work that way because it depends on how we respond. But here, let's go to James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. It may come up on the screen. There it is. James, why don't you read it with me? James 1, let me find it first. 2, 2, 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. How many of you want to be perfect and complete? Okay, that's great. Well, then what you've got to do is rejoice. In your trials, count it all joy. Yippee! Thank you, Jesus, for this trial. It's going to change me. It's going to make me like Jesus. I'm sure no one actually really loves that passage of Scripture or that verse, but nevertheless, it is true, isn't it? Hebrews 2.10, about Jesus, make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Here's my advice to you, to me, to all of us. Don't waste a good trial. Don't waste a hardship in your life or what you may be going through today. Use it to become like Jesus. God's permitted it. God's allowed it. It's happening. You're going to have to go through it anyway. Don't give the devil a victory And go through it and come out bitter and twisted and whatever. Go through it and let God transform your life. See, there are, the Bible says, treasures in darkness. You've got to go after those treasures. And too often I don't think we do. But if you will, and let God transform you, wow, you'll look back on that trial and you'll say, God, I thank you for what you did in my life. You know, we all know that some fruit, like the apricots, it will only grow in the harsh winter. And sometimes you need the harsh circumstances for certain qualities to be developed in your life. Finally, what will change us is the power of love. See, because the beauty loved the beast, the beast became more beautiful himself. 
Jesus sees beyond the beast in us. And he sees the beauty. He really does. In every single person. See, the world looks at you. They look at your face. Look at your clothes, your job, your house, your car. And they sum you up. Categorise you. Good, bad, indifferent, whatever. Useless, hopeless, fantastic. They, they sum you up. But Jesus doesn't do it that way. He's different. Jesus saw a drunken sailor, filthy, ungodly, swearing, wicked lifestyle. But Jesus saved him. His name, John Newton. Became a great preacher, a hymn writer, and a theologian. Think about that. Why? Because God saw the preacher in the drunken sailor. God saw the hymn writer in this filthy, obscene, living man. God saw a theologian where everyone else saw rubbish. See, no one else could see that. No one. No one. No one could see him. Because it takes love to see. And Jesus loves you more than anyone on this planet. And he sees in you great value and great worth. People saw a tax collector, hated him as a cheat. Jesus saw Matthew, who would write one of the Gospels. No one else could see that. No one else could see the beauty in the beast except Jesus. People saw a violent persecutor, persecutor who hated Christians. Violent, aggressive, wanted to imprison and chain them. That's what everyone saw. But God saw the great Apostle Paul. Because he can see what no one else can see. Jesus looked one day and he saw a gypsy tent. There was a father in it and five motherless kids. No one wanted them. Despised, rejected, unwanted, worthless. Jesus looked and with the eyes of love, he saw six preachers in the tent. One of them was Gypsy Smith, became a famous preacher and revivalist. Some people look at you, they see a sinner. They see a failure. They see someone with character flaws and great weaknesses. They see some of the beast. Jesus sees that as well in you, but he sees a whole lot more. Much more. He sees the beauty that he's placed in every human heart, including yours. Forget about what everyone else sees. All that matters 
is what God sees. And he knows you are made in the image of God. In you are tremendous characteristics, qualities, gifts, ability and beauty. Put there by the finger of God himself. He sees the beauty in you. And if you let him, he will transform you into the wonderful person you were created to always be. Amen?